Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin leads the nation in the production of specialty cheeses, accounting for 47% of the total? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. Ever heard of a popcorn-driven robot? This week on Meet and 3, we're bringing you stories about the intersection of food and tech. We're interested in building swarms of many cheap, small robots and powering them and driving them forward with as little effort and as little energy as possible. We cover tech by land. Imagine if you could cut fresh microgreens onto your salad and eat it while the greens are still fresh and nutritious and delicious and alive. That dream is real. We cover tech by sea. We're building software-based business services to help shellfish growers uh, manage and grow their business. And we cover tech in the social media stratosphere. So it's not really necessarily an indictment on food media or, or media consumption at all. It's really, it's, it's how the robots decided that they were going to weight human interaction. Tune in and get techie this week on Meet and 3. Available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome. This is a Why Food Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jenny Dorsey. And I'm Ethan Frisch. This is the podcast about entrepreneurs, innovators, people who have changed their careers to go into the food, beverage, and hospitality industry. Today, we're super excited to have Joseph Yoon, who is the founder and chef of Brooklyn Bugs, joining us today. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for being here. So I'll dive right in with our regular programming. Um, we'd love for you to tell our listeners um, the aha moment you had when you knew you wanted to pursue a career with bugs. You know, the aha kind of puts me on the spot, but I feel like there's actually a very clear aha moment for me because I've been working as a chef for seven years now. And the New York Times have never really expressed interest in covering the food that I did. But after I produced the Brooklyn Bugs Festival, they did a 40-minute live Facebook Live video. 40 minutes? Yeah, of me cooking like 10 different courses. And there's just this great sense of interest from a largely new group of organizations and foundations and media and having that kind of awareness for doing some work that I think is very important was very much aha. <laughs> and up until then, you had not done any bugs at all. So what prompted you to start cooking with bugs? Well, there's an artist that I really admired and was a fan of. Her name is Meru Kim. And she's a Korean artist, that multimedia artist. And she was working on a new project. Phobiophagia, which was her desire to conquer her fear of bugs by eating them. And so we, uh, over the years, we became friends. And she asked whether I would cook for her project. And so I said yes. And um, as, as I started learning more about why the UN endorses edible insects, and learning more and more about why bugs, um, I, I just like really fell into the wormhole and really, <laughs> no really wanted to get 
get interested. But that that was like the 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 first event that I did was with her back uh, Cinco de Mayo uh, just last year, actually. And so, what did you cook? Uh, so that was my first foray into edible insects, and I remember the first dish that I thought of making, or, or one of the first dishes, was uh, gougere. And gougeres are like these uh, French cheese puffs. And, um, you know, I thought it was like a great way to be able to hide and bake the, the gougere, and, but also be able to incorporate the cricket powder into it. Uh, we also like guacamole, of course, <laughs> with, like, with crickets. But, um, you know, the interesting with, thing with the gougere is that it, the gluten in the flour creates it to ri- helps it to rise. Mm-hmm. And when I did my first batch, I put too much cricket flour because cricket flour, cricket powder is really only crickets. Mm-hmm. So they don't like have the gluten mitts. Right, exactly. So the first round I did, they turned out looking like kind of like discs. <laughs> instead you, of didn't, you didn't do any wheat flour at all. It was just cricket flour. No, no. Then it wouldn't rise at all. Right, right. No, I, I did a mix, but the, the blend mixture was off for it to rise. And so there's just a, a learning, <laughs> pro, you know, a learning curve and process. I also... Um, you know, I, I wanted to make a, a wide variety of, of dishes um, that would both hide the insects for those that might be a little squeamish about seeing them and also really be able to highlight them and show them in all its glory for those that are a little more adventurous. And how did you start cooking with insects in the first place? How did you uh, get interested in, in this whole world of ingredients that most chefs are not really even aware of? Well, well it was because Miru asked me. And then, and once so you she, had no, you didn't use it at all. Pri- prior to that, I had uh, it was more as a novelty where someone would come back from Mexico or something and be like, "Hey, you love food? Why don't you want to try these crickets or grasshoppers?" And so, or it was a scorpion at the end of like a mezcal bottle. Right, right. <laughs> and so it was more very much as a novelty, and I knew nothing about why it is. Um, such an important part for the future of food. Why is that? Well, the in 2013, the UN issued a report uh, with the FAO, the Food and Agricultural Organization, that issued the uh, that addressed the issue of food scarcity and feeding the world's burgeoning population. It, by 2050, we're looking at over nine billion people, and in that time, we will. It's projected that we're going to have to almost double the amount of protein to feed the world's population. And so with land resources dwindling and the necessity of water and climate change, their recommendation was edible insects. Because it is sustainable, it requires far less um, feed, it requires less water. You could vertically farm them, you could do it in urban areas, in rural areas, and the nutrition is also like very good for you as well. So with that endorsement, a lot of Western companies really started getting involved, and it I, it really kind of is like kind of like the the uh, catalyst for what I believe is like kind of like the the Western world's opening and awareness into the world of uh, edible insects. When you say the Western world, ha- um, it seems like edible insects has a lot more like uh, accepted in other parts of the world. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, you know, some of the bullet points, I guess, is that. of the world's nations already eats insects, and over 2 billion people eat insects. And I think that a really important distinction with these facts is that it doesn't mean that they're eating it every single day as a part of their sustenance. If you think about how often you might eat duck 
or how often you might eat salmon. Maybe you eat it once a week or maybe even once a month. Mm -hmm. And so that's actually a really big part of what I'm advocating for with people incorporating edible insects into their diets is maybe you just do it once a week, like Meatless Monday, and you just start incorporating it even once a week. Even that will have a tremendous impact for globally if all Americans were to start doing that. And so I, I think that people tend to think that when you're advocating for edible insects, it's like, forget all the meat, it's yeah. horrible, forget this and that. Only crickets. No, I, I am not suggesting that by any means. And I actually try to incorporate insects into dishes with other proteins that are familiar with people and that they may crave. So I, I have, for example, I have this like fried chicken slider and I, I make it with a cricket crust or a chapolina crust. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when people eat it, they can't believe that there's even insects in there. They're like, this tastes so good. <laughs> and that's the goal of as a chef, right? We want to serve food that people really love and that people will enjoy. And so it, it's extremely rewarding to see the aha moment of the guests because they expect to not like it going in because of all the stigmas and all, all, all the preconceived notions they may have about bugs. Most people that try for the first time expect that they're going to be a little squeamish and have a visceral reaction. And it is so rewarding to see people go through like a 10 course tasting menu and go like, actually, that's really good. And that's when I know that like we're winning and it's really a matter of giving people a way to try it and help them to bridge the gap and change your perception that these bugs are actually edible, that they're healthy, they're farmed for us to eat, and that we can incorporate it into our diets. When you say we, um, you after you cooked this tasting for your friend, uh, you then went on to actually start the festival and have it has the name Brooklyn Bug. So can you tell us about how that happened in a, such a short time frame as well? Yeah, you know, as a Brooklyn, Korean-American Brooklyn, <laughs> who worked in the music industry for a long time, and who also then transitioned to the food industry, um, I love to work and I love a good hustle. And so, <laughs> so I after uh, the May Cinco de Mayo event with, with Miru, um, I just started calling, I, I looked up hashtag entomophagy, uh, which is the Greek derivative of uh, insects and eating, so edible insects. Um, and I looked up all the companies in North, Amer North and South America, and I really wanted to focus on North and South America because I felt it was important to build the community here because there's a huge community, community awareness in Africa and Asia, but I really wanted to raise awareness in America. So I looked up the companies that were, that were the movers and shakers, and uh, Entomo Farms, they were, they're one of the world's largest indoor cricket farms, uh, became one of my first sponsors. And Entosense, uh, they are also a wonderful sponsor, and Mercy Mercado. Um, they end up providing so many of the raw insect ingredients that I need. And so I contacted them and showed them pictures of the food that I made. And I was like, hey, this is what I'm doing. I love to work with your products. They're like, here, let me send you some of our, our products. 
And I found that they were all very supportive. Uh, in addition to like the community is a very small and building community still. And so I felt very welcome when I would contact like David George Gordon, the bug chef. He wrote the Eat a Bug cookbook back in 1998. Wow. So he's like one of the, the grandfathers OG. of the movement, the OG <laughs> in the Western world. And everyone was just so welcoming that after about a month of that event in June, I was like, guys, how would you feel if I hosted a festival in New York City? They're like, when do you want to do that, next year? I'm like, no, how about it over Labor Day in three <laughs> months? And they're like, Joseph, that sounds crazy, but if you put it together, we'll be so behind you. That sounds amazing. And so I amazingly uh, found a lot of people that were very supportive and put a team together to help uh, produce the event. And, um, you know, so thankfully we were able to do that in three months. And it was so important because we could have waited a far longer time period. But because we did that event, um, the first day we had uh, speakers and panels, it's kind of conference style. Every day we had different uh, bug foods being served. And the second day we had an outdoor vendors market, children's programming, fun and games. And then we had a big banquet, bug banquet. Oh my gosh. And then the following day we had a big community brunch. Uh, because we did that, that's what uh, the New York Times ended up um, calling to do the, the Facebook Live. Mm -hmm. And we also got a lot of really incredible press, um, personally from publications that I have great respect for. And when the New York Times and NPR are like, hey, we're interested in like what you're doing, and Gizmodo covers us, all the local news channels were coming to, to get footage, it was incredibly validating because we're not just doing some food trend or trying to hop onto some bandwagon, but we felt a strong connection in being able to do something that will help Americans get onto a movement that will be essential for the future of how we're gonna be eating and what we're gonna be doing to provide protein in the future for our for our you know future generations. And um, how do bugs taste? Like what, what do bugs taste like? I feel like this is something that, was this part of the UN report? This is often something, like you said, that gets le left out of the conversation. Well, uh, no, I, I think that the tasting of bugs is fascinating. And uh, do you guys know how many edible insects there are? Ooh. Roughly? A lot. I know. A lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. There are a lot. 1,900, over 1,900 wow. edible insects. I don't know why whoever came up with that number didn't just say like almost 2,000, but 1,900 <laughs> is the magic number, over 1,900. So if you think about Jenny as a chef, Think about all the vastly different flavor profiles and textures and potential in working with insects. Mm -hmm. And so that is like absolutely fascinating to me. I mean, we have some samples here yeah, to, to we'll taste with you guys. And uh, we could go into the flavor a little bit more when we taste them yeah. because we're going to eat four, four out of the ten, or you could pick some as well, but they will all taste drastically mm -hmm. and dramatically different. And so there, there's something almost for everybody, I feel. There are ways to hide it by baking it, like I was saying before. Yeah. There are ways for the more adventurous people 
to to highlight them and and feature them. Um, you know, so th- so it's like that's part of the challenge is to find ways to make it enticing for people and to really be able to find the ways to connect as a chef to the eater to the diner and try to say like, oh, okay, so you like strong flavors, you're not timid, so we're going to put this Japanese hornet right on top of your dish. <laughs> and like, it. Yeah, right. <laughs> or, or uh, you know, so, so it's, um, you know, that's almost part of the fun. And that's why I really try to rally chefs to work with me. And like, if you want, if you're a serious chef and you want to get involved, I'm happy to put R&D packages together because we need your help as a movement and as a community. The more chefs that are involved, the more that people are posting pictures on Instagram and talking about it, that's a win. And even if people could talk a little negatively but share their experience, if it's coming from like a real angle, like, you know, sometimes on some of the things people might be like uh, on TV or interviews, they might be like, this wasn't my favorite bite. Mm -hmm. I like that because it shows the realness of it. Because, but if people are like, ill trying to fear factor it, right? Then, then I, then I tend to back away and go like, you know, that's not the way that I'm trying to share my point of view and like share the experience of food. I mean, you're so, uh, obviously so passionate about this, and you already made a career change, as you mentioned, um, from music into being a private chef and caterer. So uh, when uh, you, you were telling us earlier, when we were having coffee, uh, that you had to make a decision on going into this bug pursuit full time, like, how were you able to, you know, justify like this, I'm going into this field that is going to be an uphill climb um, versus doing something that you already knew? You know, it, it is still a challenge to just try to, uh, I mean, living in New York City and Brooklyn, it ain't easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 and, you know, granted that, that New York is, if I wanted to live somewhere else, I would probably move. But New York is such a beautiful, magical, incredible place, particularly Brooklyn. I have so much love for this city in this community and my family live around here and so I have a lot of friends that live here and so there's like a really incredible like just um community that I am blessed to have nearby and that gives me a lot of strength and in Korean there's this like little small phrase like himne it means kind of like give strength like if you're like battling through something or and it's like himne <laughs> and, and so you know there, there's this there, when the decision came, like after the festival in September, and afterwards, I, there was a lot of follow-up press, and it was like nonstop work. And when November came around and the holiday season started coming around, I had to decide, almost like, all right, am I gonna focus on Yummy Eats and the business as a caterer and as a chef, and really try to make the money, or Am I going to start focusing on Brooklyn Bugs? And the amount of time it takes to, to commit, it's, it takes so much time and energy that I decided to not market and push Yummy Eats as hard as I usually do during the holiday season and recharge my batteries over the holidays. And thankfully, I have regular clients and customers that that um, call me and so I was able to 
to get my work in that way during the holidays. But I know I lost a significant amount of business, but it was very rewarding because, um, you know, this year it's been, there, there's been a lot of um, great highlights and a lot of organizations that I've worked with that has been, uh, that has made it all worth it. I think that's, that's often, uh, that's emblematic of, of the hard decision that entrepreneurs have to make to, to put, to walk away from something that's providing you income that, that gives you the stability that you're, that you're used to and comfortable with and take a leap. Um, what, what advice would you give to other people who are thinking about going through that process themselves or, or who are afraid to, to walk away from that stability? You know, I think that one of the most important things is if you make that kind of decision or take that risk, you have to still be grounded and be making some money. <laughs> so, yeah. so, it, so sometimes like when I would manage musicians in another lifetime, they would just go like, okay, so we recorded an album. I'm going to quit my job. And I'm like, no, you, you, you still have to work mm-hmm. because how are you going to pay your rent? How are you going to make your living? And so even as an entrepreneur, it's almost like you have to continue doing, you have to continue living and sustaining your lifestyle. And I think that a lot of times people tend to glamorize the entrepreneurial life and and people see like instant TV success and reality stars and they lose touch of like the reality of what it really takes. Like what, what does it take? And it's like, usually you got to work a lot. You got to be really committed. If you don't really believe in it and you're going to go half hearted, maybe, you know, maybe take your time, (laughs) dip your toe. I mean, maybe you need to take a small step at a time, but it is a, it, it is more often than not, a step-by-step process that's an uphill battle and it's not a home run with one swing of the bat where you get to go around all the bases. And and I just find that I am currently actually in that battle myself. I mean, it's like trying to figure out how I'm going to continue running Brooklyn Bugs and try to monetize it while I'm trying to be an advocate and really... um, move things forward. I mean, we're, we're looking at doing a crowdfunding campaign, which I'm very excited about uh, later this fall. And, um, you know, we're, it, it's just being really uh, creative, finding solutions. Uh, when someone puts up a challenge or barrier, a lot of times I like, just say there's a wall and someone says no. I find that sometimes people feel like, oh, darn. Just but have to f- get through it. Yeah, but for me, it's like, all right, well, I'm going to go get a ladder. I'm going to walk around Screw this wall. You. I'm going to get over the wall. <laughs> I'm going to dig a hole. Yeah. And there are solutions. And it's just like being able to listen to other people, build a team of people that can like work with you, trusting people to let go and um, really just kind of going for it and, and diving in. I mean, you've since been able to speak at a, a number of institutions that you admire, um, such as the Smithsonian and CIA. Can you tell us a little bit about how you were able to get in front of them, as, as we've been talking about, getting walls and obstacles? And um, now that you're, you are trying to figure out how to make revenue from Brooklyn Bugs, kind of that, that balancing act that you're kind of juggling right now. Well, it has been extremely humbling for me to be able to share my experiences with Brooklyn Bugs and Edible Insects and um, 
this summer I went on a West Coast tour and uh, first time uh, debuting Brooklyn Bugs on the West Coast. And incredibly, uh, we were invited to, to speak at uh, Chef Rebecca Pizer's uh, Farm of Fork uh, sustainability class. And we were able to, at the CIA, Culinary Institute of America, and it's widely regarded as one of the leading uh, culinary schools in the globally. And so it is such a, an honor to be able to go and present edible insects and the work that I'm doing at, uh, at a school like that. And we also um, went down to the Natural History Museum in LA and gave two days of presentations there with uh, David George Gordon. We were uh, on stage and uh, giving uh, cooking demos there. Uh, the Smithsonian's gonna be releasing uh, videos of uh, some of the dishes that, that, we, that we recorded earlier this year. Um, you know, it, it's really incredibly validating for me to have these institutions that I really love and just really admire and for them to welcome me to participate and be involved with uh, the work that they're doing. And so while there may be struggles and, um, you know, I, I really have a great deep-seated belief that what I'm doing is not without challenges, but, but it is I'm doing the right thing. And I know that once I, as a businessman, I, I've been holding back on starting the business machine for this because in the products in the products and stuff because then my focus will shift from being an advocate and really trying to do as much as I can for the community and the industry as a whole and really be more product driven and business driven I'm really hoping that once I do release a product line it'll just raise the visibility I'll be able to make money to hire people and I'll still be able to continue this work because ultimately I really feel like my greatest strength in what I'm doing is working as a creative and almost as a community leader in trying to build the community and the work that we're collectively doing and not just trying to run a business that's for profit that's just on my own. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back in two minutes to taste some of the really cool-looking bugs that <laughs> just yeah, was laid out on the table right. in front of us. So you get to listen to us crunching on scorpions and all kinds of awesome stuff. Um, yeah, we'll be right back. Today's program was brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. What do you think of when you hear Wisconsin Cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh and squeaky cheese curds. Or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally anyway, anytime, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese, the farmstead cheese company behind Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I think of delicious stinky Limburger and its long storied history. I think of Dunbarton Blue, made by master cheesemaker Chris Raleigh. I think of Ross Grand Cru Sirchois, which was named 2016's World Championship Cheese, and Satori's Black Pepper Bella Vitano, the 2017 U.S. Championship Cheese. 
Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk. Fourth generation cheesemakers combine old world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. Moxie Rosenblum, my dad, Harry Rosenblum, hosts Feast Your Ears on Heritage Radio Network. Right now, HRN is having a summer membership drive. Becoming a member is so easy and you'll help support shows like my dad's. You can sign up for a one-time donation or become a monthly sustaining member by visiting heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Let's keep food radio on the airwaves this summer. And we're back. We're here with uh, Joseph Yoon of Brooklyn Bugs, and he has brought an incredible selection of bugs for us to yeah, eat. Yeah, yeah. So, Charp, Joseph, Charp. we're in uh, we're in your hands. Design what we start a, with? a tasting menu for us. Well, I, I would say why don't we start first with uh, the tiniest of them all, and I would say let's uh, go with the uh, black ant caviar from Entosense. Whoa! So these and, really uh, look like caviar. Yeah. So those are actually. Um, only flash frozen. Okay. So they literally are like caviar. Uh, it, they do not have, they weren't cooked or anything. And so, uh, Ethan, here you go. Here. Can you tell us about the process of how bugs are usually processed, um, for consumption? So you take the live bug and you freeze it? Well, they, they all, depending on who gets it, why, how, uh, they all go through a different process, but a lot of them are frozen to... Uh, for harvesting to euthanize them and before and then they might be roasted uh, a lot of times they are roasted um, and uh, but these are these are one of the very few that are uh, just kept raw and incredible shelf stability I have a batch that I first got over a year ago wow uh, I'm not serving it to anybody if you're wondering uh, but I have it just for like my own uh, research purposes the flavor is like decreasing a little bit, but they're still good. They didn't go rancid. And so they have incredible shelf stability. And these are one of the big things that you can expect. Uh, Brooklyn Bugs is we're doing R&D with these bugs. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, guys, uh, I'm sure you guys are all fans of Jenny's, but she's an incredible chef. Oh, and I'm fine. looking forward to, to uh, seeing what she might do with these uh, bugs so, as well. So would uh, we just we just eat them? We just pop yeah, them in I, our mouths? Yeah, let's, I, just uh, a I, just, I just posted a picture on the, on the Burlap and Barrel Instagram account with I, a picture of these I think they're like kind of tangy. They are, right? And the, and for something that's mm. not roasted at all, they, they aren't crunchy. They yeah. have a little... Um, that brings me to a question about the exoskeleton. Mm-hmm. Is there <laughs> is there an issue with people who are allergic to shellfish eating bugs? Yes, absolutely. Because of the material on the on their outside, the chitin is the same that you find in shellfish. Um. And so, as a general rule, when I go to these events, I always have a shellfish allergy warning. Um, that acidic note that you're yeah. getting from the black ants is from the formic acid, and they actually use it as like a defense. Uh, but that's what creates like that citric note in the black ants. Yeah, huh. very lemony. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. So, so I've often served these with uh, seafood dishes mm-hmm. because of that citric note. And um, 
you know, they, these are often a, a crowd fra- favorite because they're very unobtrusive and they're packed with flavor. Yeah. And so a lot of times people are like, oh my God, what, what is this? This is uh, crazy. And these I are think- grown on a farm. What does a bug farm look like? Well, these, I believe, are, are harvested. These were not on, a, on an actual farm, but they're like uh, uh, people dig into the anthills and uh, oh, wow. har- harvest them out, put them in water, and then they kind of sort through them. Uh, the insect farms, like the ones, the crickets at, at um, Entomo Farms, there's like massive, huge warehouse spaces. And they actually have like free range crickets. Um, <laughs> that, oh, what a that, nice life. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and because a lot of times they're raised in bins and, and stuff, but they, they, they have like more of a free range sort of uh, facility. But um, yeah, so, so it all depends. There are also, uh, you know, some uh, companies that are building farms for your desktop. And wow. there, there are like a lot of different ways. And like, I, I just find as people are getting more innovative and as the the business space for edible insects grows, that hopefully it's going to really help to drive the cost of the insects lower and lower. Because really, if, if we're talking about food scarcity, trying to feed people, um, they shouldn't be premium priced high end market ingredients, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, maybe there are products that do deserve that kind of high pricing but that's also a big goal of mine is to be able to offer very affordable low-priced um products at the end of the day and have you seen that kind of you know the scarcity that that you see in mushrooms or or different types of fish right like certain varieties of mushrooms command a higher price because they're rarer you know the obvious example is truffles but there are a million others have you seen that a similar economy developing in insects where there are like the day-to-day insects and then there are the the super premium ones well absolutely yeah the more work that that's involved with obtaining the insects and harvesting them and uh, the volume which you can grow will definitely affect the price. Um, but you know, as a whole, right now, a lot of the products that you're going to see in the edible insect industry is, um, you know, at more priced a little bit more at the premium side of the market. And once more and more awareness develops and we're able to scale the business as a whole, I think that uh, hopefully we'll be able to start seeing some of the prices come down as well. What should we move on to next? Uh, I would say, why don't we go to uh, front right over here? Um, actually, I already told you what it was. I was going to ask you guys to guess. guess. But, uh, so this next one are Vespula flaviceps. Uh, they're Japanese wasps. These are like literally whole wasps. They're yeah. like kind of fuzzy with, with wings. So, and they're pretty big. This is nice and... Like, yeah, these, a, are, these are good-sized. Um, Wow. So Joseph, what would you say, like, what's your response to somebody who says, I don't want to eat bugs? I Like our sound engineer here? David, who's hiding behind the... Uh, well, the- I, I think, that, I think, that, I think there, are, there are a few things to, to, to state is that people's relationship to their ideas of what a bug is, is often dictated by cultural norms of thinking of yep. bugs as something that you want to kill that's in your house or a pest. And it's to it takes a very small shift in perception to realize that it is a farmed ingredient and something that is for human consumption. And so with that idea, I, I actually rarely serve I, I never serve bugs like this. Like when I at my events, I always like have prepared dishes. Yeah. And it's an it's an important part for me when I share the bugs to be able to present a dish 
so that it's not just the bug. Right. Um, this is more as a tasting for fun and sure. as like uh, you know, as my peers in the industry, it's like you know to to get the flavor tasting and stuff and and to go through this. But I find that it's like really important. And so, for example, if I were to come in here with like a uh, Chapolina chocolate chip cookie. That right. might be a little more David, palpable would you eat for a, a Chapolina chocolate David? chip cookie. David? Uh... I'll bring some in <laughs> this week if you like. So um, resounding. Next, next question. Go. Yeah. yeah. So so you know and, and you know so it's just a a very small shift in how you perceive the insects and um, you know I, I I wish I had something that was uh, prepared to share with them and and that way it would have been. Uh, you know, a little easier sort of sell like, oh, here's here's uh, like a chirp chip. Uh, chirps has like chirps makes these uh, they're San Francisco oh, yeah, based them. company, yep. and they make these like really delicious uh, chips, corn tortilla chips. So is, um, is that is that like the gateway bug? No, sorry. Uh, <laughs> that, that's what it's considered. The the cricket is considered the gateway bug at the moment. Um, but I think that it's tied. Ty- all right, here's a little trivia question for you guys. Oh, okay, I'm ready. What bug is the most widely eaten bug in the world? It's gonna be some kind of worm. Oh, a, a meal, a mealworm, or a yes, yeah, mm. that would be my guess. Yeah, I silkworm. Interesting. You guys are clever. You guys are clever it's Asia. because uh, indeed, but a worm is actually a misnomer because they're not actually oh, worms. Yeah, they're larvae. They're the yeah, larva yeah, right, and right grub. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. Beetles. Oh, uh, really? a, a, a lot of times. Uh, well, so you're, you're right. I mean, like, so mealworms, uh, you know, definitely. And uh, silkworms are, are moths. Uh, they're caterpillars. Um, but, uh, yeah, but indeed, they are. Where, uh, where are most of those consumed? Uh, I would, I, 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 Asia and Africa are the, I, I mean, I hate to just, like, throw out these, like, massive, like, <laughs> two-thirds con- of the world's of, you know, but, uh, and South America, um, are really where the, the main areas are. I mean, I think there are over like 500, 600 types of uh, insects eaten just in Mexico, actually, wow. just south of our border. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned earlier um, when we were having coffee that when you were putting on the, the three-day conference, um, you were getting kind of these mixed uh, comments from people who didn't know if they really liked... <laughs> Jenny, just say it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, who are saying kind of slightly racist things about who eats bugs. I mean, can you tell us a little bit more about the history of who does eat these bugs? Um, the fact that they are addressing a scarcity question um, in the world's population. I mean, I just watched something about how Cambo- in Cambodia, tarantulas are a huge part of their diet and they're mm. getting far farmed into or they're getting hunted into extinction because I don't think you can farm them and that's a like an important part of the global food equation that we're trying to address yeah you know uh Dr. Julie Lesnick um at Wayne University is just releasing a book uh or just released a book that will that discusses the cultural evolution of humans relationships with edible insects and we have always eaten insects and a lot of times, it's the warmer weather climates that have eaten bugs because they're, mm. they're more widely available. And, and as you get further away from the equator and like the weather gets colder, the bugs weren't as readily available as a food source. Mm. So the further away that you get, um, and so when you get up to Europe and Americas, um, that was partially one of the reasons. And another reason I, is during the colonization period, and this is all, I, I hope that, uh, Julie, you don't mind my horrible paraphrasing because <laughs> you're so much more eloquent about this, but during the colonization as well, when um, 
people are coming to America, they're like, oh, look at savages eating bugs. We're mm-hmm. so much, uh, we're better than the savages. We don't eat bugs. And so that kind of perpetuated the feeling in the sense that there was a, like, we're better because we don't eat this food source. Mm-hmm. But if you think about lobsters and the history of lobsters. And oysters. And True. oysters. There's so many foods and sushi in America. It took, yeah. like, really 30 years for it to become an acceptable food source and not such, like, a weird type of food for people. And I really, really think it's only a matter of time and that this time window is going to accelerate much quicker because of the necessity and because of the creativity and the burgeoning like food space and business of people involved with this right now. Yeah. Can we I, just talk about these these black wasps? Yeah, again? they're yeah, so right. good. So cool. Yeah. They're super sweet. They taste like honey, like yeah. straight up, like a, a tiny little but, crunchy capsule of honey. And you've used these for desserts. I have used them for dessert. You know, I'm I'm still um, fascinated. I'm gonna drink. Uh, I'm gonna cleanse my palate. I'm gonna Joseph gonna doesn't eat, think these taste good. I don't. Yeah, no. But but I love hearing the the tasting notes from everybody because everyone has like a different palate and relationship to food. So I love hearing about the different flavors that people pick up and get off of these uh, insects. Uh, would you guys? I, I'm gonna give you guys some options. Okay. Or maybe we could eat more th- more than uh, just yeah. a couple of these. So I would say uh, let's go with the silkworm people next on the top left. Yeah, that one there. Um, so the the first two that we had were bugs with legs, but these are bugs without legs. They're yeah. like and these are you know grubs. interestingly, um, if you think about silkworm pupas, they are they are the silkworms that grow silk, and so they're they're already used in human, uh, uh, you know, amongst humans to to grow silk, mm. and the pupas are another source of uh, you know high in protein and. Um, Koreans eat these very uh, frequently as street food, and it's called bundegi. Oh yeah, I've seen, I've seen it. And interestingly, a lot of kids grew up eating this. And you could go to H Mart, and it's sold in cans. Really? You could go to the one on Thirty Second Street, and they probably have this <laughs> in cans, right? Some of the people that work there don't even know they carry it because. And but the funny thing though is that when the kids find out that they are eating bugs, they stop eating it. Right, even though they might have liked it before. Even though they might have liked it. Uh, may I suggest if you have another one, like give it a little squish and smell. Yeah, um, they have such a Because like when, you, when you're able to smell it, it you, you guys know how much that helps like your, your taste. And, um, you know, so these are, these are very interesting because these aren't done in a Korean style. They're just like kind of roasted. Mm-hmm. So they have a very different flavor than what you get out of a can that's already flavored and all that They've stuff. It's got so. sort of a cinnamon aroma, like a... Kind of remind me of like um, like a graham cracker or like a mm. dry biscuit, like you know, like English shortbread. Yeah, not a lot of flavor, but a, that same similar crumbly. kind of crumbly texture. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would actually encourage you, Ethan, to um, maybe take another one. I've had and, three or four already, and and and, <laughs> and, and chew it and yeah. chew it until it becomes mealy, but continue chewing it. Okay. And it, or if you have some more, because I think it's like really um, a lot more flavor is extracted mm. the more you kind of chew it. And um, I think it's almost it has like a corn nutty sort of yeah. Uh, okay yeah I could definitely sort of that. Uh, flavor a almost grainy like so, grain flavor yeah so a lot of these bugs are I mean they're we've gotten a little bit bigger from the ants to the the silkworm and I think mm-hmm. the biggest thing we have is the grasshopper um, but 
most of them are still pretty small. Yeah. And a lot of times when I've seen bugs in culinary applications, at least, um, is more like kind of a topping or some sort of like accoutrement. Yeah. How do you, how have you um, framed them so that people can see it as, as the main protein of the meal? Yeah. That's a great question. I try to find different ways. And right now I am, I really try to do like a 10 course sort of tasting as a way to share this food because it is so new. I find it's helpful for people to be able to see it hidden in like a cricket crusted fried chicken, have a gougere, but then also to have a, um, like a, um, a market crudo. Like there's, I, I get this, uh, wonderful striped bass, uh, sustainable right off of Long Island. And I like to make a crudo dish and put like a scorpion on top of it. Mm -hmm. And right now it's, um, because it is so new, it's almost a shame to take that scorpion and grind it up or try to hide the scorpion. Right. And so for me, part of the, the enjoyment of it is to be able to highlight it and share it in a dish um, and I would almost say give this a little squeeze. We're gonna as well. eat this scorpion. Yeah, this, this is a Manchurian scorpion. Um, it's got its stingers and everything. Yeah, it does have a stinger, and uh, but it's, it's denatured uh, through through the curing process. And um, it's still got like a little juice in it, though. Yeah, it is juicy. <laughs> it, it's, Make it sound uh, so yeah. appetizing. When, when, you, when you get a bigger scorpion, I mean, it definitely has a lot of uh, guts. So where in there. where do they where do these come from? These are from a farm in uh, in China, and uh, these are Manchurian scorpions. And um, very, you know, I I, I work really closely <laughs> with my with my purveyors, and these are uh, again from Antosense, and to to try to make sure that they are sustainable, and it's a it's a very important part for us. And granted that they are shipping it, you know, from China or whatever, but you know, in order to do the research and do the work that we're doing, uh, we try our best to. Um, be responsible and source responsibly and um, yeah actually yeah some more water might be good if you want to cleanse your palate these taste so much like like salted shrimp they're and very, very salty. similar yeah. texture to mm -hmm. shrimp too very briny and uh, yeah it's salted like brine shrimp soft shell crab those are like oh, some, yeah. some this of reminds the reminds me of when I make like, like broth from oyster shells and then it's just like a sea broth and it tastes like sea salt this is what this tastes like to me. Yeah. Like I just use and, that for sauce. And so when you were asking about the flavors of bugs, I mean, yeah. even with these like, ha like few that we've tried, you could see the enormous taste differences mm -hmm. and why it's so exciting as a chef to be presented with like, okay, now you have 1900 new potential ingredients that you could work with. I thought we knew what most of the options were and it turns out we haven't, we don't we haven't even scratched the surface, yeah. right, yeah. How do you feel about all the new bug-related companies that are starting to come out to market? The different flowers or I protein I love chip? it. Uh, Seek Food is actually doing a Kickstarter at the moment uh, promoting Robin, their, their new right? line of, uh, of uh, flower products at Robin Shapiro. And, you know, I love that more and more businesses are getting involved because that is, we really just need to grow the food space. And interestingly, uh, a black soldier fly company just secured their first round of funding of over $100 million. Wow. There, there's just like more and more awareness. And this will really help to raise the awareness, get more regulation so that we could have bigger businesses putting money in for the research of it, for the development, and really find creative ways to be able to use every single part 
like using the frass of the crickets, which is a uh, cricket excrement as fertilizer. Oh. There's just so many uses to be able to use it from A to Z. Um, you know, just the more we're able to research it, the more we're able to like permeate into culture, have it be more visible. Um, you know, I applaud all the companies that are getting into the food space and encourage people to to uh, to dive in and, and get involved. Um, that's awesome. Uh, in the last few minutes, we like to do a, a rapid fire, more fun, lighthearted segment. So we're going to throw a bunch of okay. uh, less serious questions at you. Some right. might be bug related, some might not be. Okay. Um, so if you could only eat one bug and nothing else for the rest of your life, what would it be? <laughs> oh, geez. Wow. Uh, my quick answer, quick fire answer, maybe would maybe be ants, actually. Yeah. These oh, black ants these that we just black tasted? Ants? Maybe, yeah. Can you eat red ants, too? Yeah, you should, there are a lot of different types of uh, ants that you could eat. Are there, are there, how do you know when you can't eat a type of Oh, yeah, bug? that's a good question. I don't know, but there are 1,900 types. <laughs> I, I, I actually usually go by my purveyors, who, when they tell me something is edible and they send me things, uh, I'm always willing to try everything. But you don't like wander through the woods and snack as you go? I don't, only because um, there are bugs that could eat things that are toxic for us. Mm. Mm. And so I, I don't try to get uh, too adventurous yet at the moment. Uh, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Wow. One superpower? <laughs> um, to uh, never uh, feel hate. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, wow. We've never heard that, that one before. That's a good one. That's, that's lovely. Uh, could I ask you guys a question? Yeah. Yeah. What is bigger? <laughs> one million crickets or one Sasquatch? Do you mean bigger in size yeah, or bigger well, in weight? Size. Yeah, size. Uh, a Sasquatch is, a f- is fictional and a, and a million crickets are not, so... I don't know how to answer the question. I would say that Sasquatch is fictional and therefore doesn't exist and has no mass. So oh, therefore, okay, the crickets yeah, good, would good, good. be bigger. Yeah. You guys don't don't, don't believe in Sasquatch? <laughs> All right. Next question. <laughs> next question. Um, All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, uh, what did you eat for lunch as a kid? Oh, boy. You know, I was very fortunate because my mom made us a lot of uh, lunches when I was uh, in elementary school for my brother and sister. And so she would really vary our lunches amazingly and beautifully. And so one of my favorites was when she would make kimbap. It's a Korean sushi, like Korean sushi rolls. And uh, yeah, and sometimes she would make it for our whole class. And so, uh, so, yeah, no, my mom was the best. She, uh, She really helped me to not only have the joy of cooking, but really just seeing her host parties and the way that she would share her food and serve food has really helped me to also really appreciate and learn that gift of um, sharing and serving with like great joy. Did you also eat the um, silkworms? No, no in we the can? did. No, we did not eat uh, bugs as a as a kid. Has your mother incorporated your the ingredients that you're sourcing the bugs into? Has she made uh, silkworm kimbap or or not other? yet? I think that they would be open to it, but, you know, I don't really push people to eat it, and I let them kind of come to me, um, and, you know, my parents know what I'm doing, and, you know, if they're like, you know, son, we'd really love to try these bugs with you, uh, I would happily do that, but at the moment, um, 
you know, I, I let, I let, <laughs> yeah. I let, uh, you know, because I, I think when I was younger, I would be way more aggressive, like to all my friends would be like, you have to try this. Come on. Yeah. Right, right. But now it's like, I, I'm, I'm a little softer and like, I, I, I'm, I'm way more peaceful now. And so I just kind of let people who are interested, uh, cause if any of my friends are like, you know, I would really love to try some of the bugs. Uh, we host a lot of events in New York City and, you know, we travel as well and we, we host a lot of events on a regular basis. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of opportunities for people to try, try, uh, try our bugs if they're interested. Um, what's your definition of success? How would you, especially... Oh, yeah. this is our new dun-dun Especially applied to yourself. Like, how do you know when you made it? World domination. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, that's a, that's a crazy answer considering today's climate. Um, success, I, I have a, a very different idea of success personally because there have been times where I, I know I could have chased the money and gone for the more lucrative sort of business route. And I love good business. But to me, I, I think that when you think about what truly defines your happiness in life, um, it really comes down to whether you're loved and you have a community of people that mm -hmm. you love. And I've been, uh, you know, I put a lot of my focus and my priorities with my family and with my friends. Um, so, uh, love. Well, thank you so much, Joseph, for being here today. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you and your events and try some bugs and order your new products that are coming out? Yeah. So one last thing. There's a huge and incredible uh, conference, Eating Insects Athens, that's coming up in Athens, Georgia. There's a lot of uh, really incredible speakers and panelists. Uh, there are still tickets available if you guys would like to uh, participate or check it out or if you are in the area. And uh, very excited for that coming up. Uh, as for me, I uh, run Brooklyn Bugs at Brooklyn Bugs on Instagram, brooklynbugs.com. And, uh, you know, we really love to share our love and our passion of food, gastronomical experiences, and really the human experience. And so if you're interested in knowing more or coming to an event, uh, please send us a message or follow us. And uh, we hope to uh, share some bugs with you soon. Thanks. And uh, thanks to our amazing, if reluctant, sound engineer, David <laughs> Tadashar, uh, who we're going to attempt to convince to eat bugs on our way out of the studio right. today. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and to our, our theme song, which is uh, Blind by the Red Crickets. Oh, very aptly oh, no named for... I did not know that. Yeah. Like, so perfectly okay. named. for today. Um, and thank you guys and Heritage... Uh, radio network. Um, it's really uh, an honor also to be here with you guys. So thank you. Thank you. And um, as always, if you have comments, questions, um, have nominations for the show, please email us. We are yfood at heritageradionetwork.org. And you can find us online on social at, at yfoodpodcast. Thanks. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Well, that's history of mine. All the time. I don't know how to take time.